Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He looks determined without being ruthless. Something heroic in his manner. There's a courage about him. Doesn't look like a killer. Comes across so calm. Acts like he has a dream. Full of passion. You don't trust me, huh? Well, you know why. I do. We're not supposed to trust anyone in our profession anyway. Peace, 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 and welcome to The Rematch, which is part of the BasketballNews.com podcast network. On The Rematch, you'll hear in-depth interviews with notable names from all walks of life. Because sometimes the media just doesn't get it right. The Rematch is that second opportunity to clarify, put things in proper context, correct fake news or misreported controversy, the media still exists as the most powerful entity on earth because they control the minds of the masses. I'm Atan Thomas, and the full truth is what we are aiming to catch. Many media stories omit details that would dilute their clickbait roar, and that's why there's a need for the rematch. On this episode, I sat down with athlete activist legend, the esteemed Dr. Harry Edwards, who was the architect of the Olympic Project for Human Rights. This project was created to highlight and protest racism and segregation in sports and led to the iconic image of John Carlos and Tommy Smith giving the Black Power salute during the 1968 Olympics. Me and Dr. Edwards discussed LeBron James passing Kareem as NBA's all-time leading scorer, but more importantly, the impact of how LeBron has used his voice and his platform throughout his career. We discussed Bill Russell, Muhammad Ali, John Carlos, and Tommy Smith, OJ, Michael Jordan, Dr. J, Magic, and the role of athlete activists today. This was a powerful discussion. Hope you enjoy. Dr. Harry Edwards, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing better than I deserve. Man, you deserve oh, no. I I appreciate oh, yeah. you. Oh, hey, man. <laughs> listen, listen, I, I appreciate you, um, the, your body of work, um, the architect of the you know Olympic project for human rights, everything that you've met, um, the example that you've given and, and shown for athlete activists. I can go down the list. Um, but really, really it's an honor. For you to join me today on the rematch um, with basketballnews.com and fly tv so again thanks again for coming on today 
Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So I want to start off, and re the reason why I wanted to really, um, you know, talk to you uh, today was because we have a we have an amazing um, feat that happened in the world of sports. Um, you know, LeBron James has he's passed the the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the NBA's all-time leading scorer, and which is an amazing record to break in itself. So let's let's just first talk about that and the significance of what he has achieved on the court. And then we're going to move to a more important um, aspect of what he's done off the court. But let's let's start off there. An amazing feat that he has achieved um, by breaking this record by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Well, one of the one of the things that uh, sports history teaches us is that all records are vulnerable to being broken. I mean, there are some, you know, that look like they're going to last forever and all of a sudden somebody rises up uh, and breaks them. Um, and so in that regard, this fits a pattern of sports history, irrespective mm -hmm. of the sport, irrespective of the athlete. It tends to be that combination of the relevance of the athlete uh, in the arena uh, that uh, is reflected in those records uh, and how that athlete measures up in terms of challenges that oftentimes come over the stadium wall. Uh, and in both those regards, uh, Kareem uh, and LeBron uh, measure up quite well. I'm not one who uh, really favors comparing athletes of different eras. Uh, the game uh, that Kareem played is different than the game that LeBron's uh, that LeBron is playing. Uh, mm -hmm. The referees call it different. The rules are different. Uh, right. The um, uh, kinds of pressures that the athletes are under uh, is uh, is is different. Uh, so I'm not big on comparing athletes in terms of their greatness in the arena. Uh, mm -hmm. from era to era. But the one thing that you can look at definitively, particularly me as a sports sociologist can look at definitively, is how they dealt within the context of the challenges uh, in terms of those issues of their eras that came over the stadium wall and how they uh, transformed that great athletic stage that they had created into a platform to make broader and more uh, seminal uh, statements uh, in terms of um, developments uh, in the broader society, especially those efforts uh, to form that more perfect union that uh, all of us are mandated to participate in uh, constitutionally. We the people, not we the governors or we the senators, not even we the presidents, thank God, mm -hmm. uh, but we the people in order to form that more perfect union. So I look at uh, Kareem uh, and LeBron uh, from that perspective uh, and not so much comparing them uh, just in terms of their athletic performances uh, relative to uh, a record, which was for dooms preordained to eventually right. uh, be broken just as surely as the game is played. So let's let's talk about that a little bit because in your thirteen part series um, called the Last Lectures, um, which is a it's a visual overview of that body of work of athlete activists who have sacrificed their careers, um, withstood criticism and condemnation, 
and and really stood up for their communities in different ways. It's a brilliant piece of work. And you are touring universities and colleges with this project as we speak. Um, and you included LeBron in that group um, of the visual presentation. Let's talk about that very special group of athlete activists and how LeBron fits into all of that. Well, uh, LeBron um, is a uh, fifth wave athlete activist uh, that stands on the shoulders of athlete activists that go back to post-Civil War years and Octavius Cato and uh, most certainly uh, Major Taylor and Jack Johnson and that whole group of first generation activists, uh, first wave activist athletes. Uh, LeBron uh, has emerged as a leader uh, in the field uh, of athlete uh, activists who exercise power, which was something that no other wave of athlete activists have had the prerogative to do. Uh, mm. And the factors that have gone into that, that have made that possible, have everything to do from the contributions of uh, Bill Russell uh, and Arthur Ashe and uh, Elgin Baylor and even uh, uh, women uh, like Wilma Rudolph and uh, Rose Robinson of the third wave activists uh, right on up through uh, Julius Irving, uh, uh, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, these athletes who were part of that era of collaborative engagement from 1972 until uh, 2012 and the emergence of the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. Um, LeBron, uh, along with D. Wade and uh, Chris Paul and uh, Carmelo Anthony and other athletes have stepped forward and uh, made their contribution uh, to that successive, uh, to those successive waves of athlete activists that go back more than 158 years. And he has emerged as a leader of that uh, fifth wave that exercised power. Um, I mean, at Orlando, uh, you know, they, uh, you had uh, the NBA uh, athletes who stood up and said, no, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do the playoffs until everybody right. here involved, uh, networks, sponsors, owners, the media, and everybody else tell us what they're gonna do about this issue of uh, social justice. Uh, and uh, when the commissioner um, uh, got word that they were not gonna hold uh, the playoffs, there was no, well, uh, you know, you're out of here, or con condemnation. The question was, okay, what do you want us to do? How can we contribute? And they literally shut down the playoffs, not a game, but the playoffs. Uh, and so LeBron has emerged as a leader in that uh, fifth wave, and this will be as historic as anything he might accomplish in terms of uh, a uh, uh, record. You know, it's, it's interesting in looking at the way that athletes are embraced um, in their present day versus when how they are embraced after they have retired and after they're no longer playing anymore. And there is a difference. You know, I, I, you talk about John Carlos and Tommy Smith and how they were when, when they took their stand in 1968, they weren't embraced collectively. Um, you, you talk about Muhammad Ali when he was out there, you know, with Malcolm X and saying he didn't want to go to the Vietnam War and talking about black rights. He wasn't embraced 
um, you know, completely. Um, but now going looking back, you know, there's statues, there's museums, everything like that. How, how do you how do you compare that? Because LeBron receives a lot of criticism, a lot of bashing, a lot of people getting upset when he does make his stances. Um, is that just something that should be expected um, that has followed that pattern over the decades of when an athlete does take a stance, um, especially in an unpopular stance, that they're going to receive that level of backlash from mainstream America? Oh, absolutely. Uh, they will receive backlash from mainstream America just by virtue of their accomplishments. Uh, you can go back to Octavius Cotto, who was murdered. Uh, you can go back to Major Taylor, who died a pauper and was buried in an unmarked grave. You can go back to Jack Johnson, who was driven out of the country. Uh, you can go back to uh, Jesse Owens, the first athlete to uh, advocate uh, for a, um, a boycott of the Olympics and protest of racism and discrimination under the circumstances at that time in uh, Nazi Germany, uh, who was pilloried to the point that he changed his mind. Athletes tend to be celebrated, black athletes, after they have retired because the stage from which they can make uh, statements relative to the broader reality challenges uh, of achieving that more perfect union in America um, is gone. Uh, they can be like so many other illustrious black uh, contributors uh, to the struggle reduced to a cliche. I mean, Dr. King is, I have a dream. Uh, Malcolm X is by any means necessary. H. Rap right. Brown is uh, Burn David Burns. Stoker right. Carmichael is black power. I mean, there's mm -hmm. no context uh, because uh, these people are no longer out there and active. The same thing happens uh, with regard to uh, black athletes. So uh, athletes who speak out are pilloried and condemned. Once they are in retirement, they tend to be reframed, recast, recharacterized uh, in many instances of caricatures of what they really were and stood for, especially in opposition to the status quo in a group relations situation uh, in American society. So sure, once LeBron is out, uh, he'll be uh, lionized. He'll be pulled out periodically and paraded uh, uh, at uh, NBA All-Star Games and so mm -hmm. forth. But as long as he has that stage and insists upon transforming it into a platform to make broader statements about freedom, justice, and equality, and America living up to its creed, uh, and mythology, uh, he's going to be uh, he's going to be pilloried. But the day will come when he will be embraced. And like Muhammad Ali, they might even uh, uh, name uh, uh, NBA trophy something after him, like they brought Muhammad Ali back to actually like the Olympic torch uh, in um, in in uh, um, Los Angeles, I believe it was. So at the end of the day, uh, this is um, uh, par. Uh, for the course, uh, as it were, uh, to celebrate and embrace black athletes after they no longer have that speech to transform into a platform uh, on an ongoing basis uh, in an event where literally uh, the world is watching. The NC2A uh, championship game or the uh, NBA uh, playoffs and uh, championship tournament or the NFL Super Bowl or playoffs the way that... Uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick did. You know, it's interesting. Um, in, in my book, uh, We Matter, Athletes and Activism, which I also interviewed you in, um, I interviewed Kareem. 
And, and during the interview, we talked about LeBron and we talked about some of the backlash that he receives. And he had an interesting point. Um, at that time, uh, then President Donald Trump was always trying to condemn him publicly, um, you know, make him seem like he didn't know what he was talking about. He would put him into speeches where he didn't really even belong in, in those speeches. You know, he, he was making a concerted effort to really be focused on LeBron after LeBron said anything. He also did the same thing with Kaepernick as well. And Kareem made a, a, a very interesting point that's really stuck with me since he said it. He said, well, that should be a compliment because it shows you the, the power of his voice. He said Trump wouldn't have been wouldn't have been worrying about what LeBron said if, if his voice wasn't as powerful as it was. He's a threat to the opposition. And that's why you see um, the opposition, you know, Trump, Trump supporters saying different things and trying to discredit, you know, LeBron or trying to, you know, condemn him or, or make him sound like he's unintelligent or he doesn't know what he's talking about or he, he should just, you know, stick to basketball, shut up and dribble, all those different things is because they're actually really threatened by his voice, and that's and that shows the magnitude um, of and how it reverberates when he does speak up. What, what, what would you like to add to that? I thought that was a great point that Kareem made. Well, I think that there most certainly is that element to it, but a uh, good deal of it is just um, uh, some scumbag uh, politician trying to crawl up on the platform that uh, LeBron has earned a right uh, to create uh, through his athletic prowess and get some publicity and some spotlight that he otherwise would not get. Not so much uh, as a spotlight generated by a visit uh, from a NBA championship team to the White House while he was president. So uh, in one instance, if you don't have athletes coming to uh, NBA basketball players and so forth coming to the White House, White House to visit after a championship, uh, as was the case with Steph Curry and so forth, uh, and the Warriors, uh, then if you're going to uh, gain any spotlight uh, and share in any uh, accolades uh, or walk, uh, stand in the shadow of an NBA champion uh, uh, athlete, then uh, the other way that you get there is to crawl up on their platform as a critic, uh, mm. which is what um, uh, Trump did. Uh, he wasn't uh, so much uh, saying, look at how powerful and consequential LeBron's uh, speaking out is, and therefore I have to counter that. He was just crawling into the spotlight uh in some way trying to get some visibility by standing in LeBron's shadow. Uh, I doubt very seriously if he had the intellectual capacity to even understand what LeBron was getting at and what his points were in terms of any comments that he might have made. That's a good point. <laughs> I, I can't really argue with that one. That's a good point as well. Um, talk about the impact that LeBron has on other of his contemporaries. Uh, we've seen it different times throughout the um, – history, at least in the NBA, when it was a little bit quiet as a whole, um, different decades, different eras, and it was because some of the main people were quiet. And, you know, LeBron has taken a different approach since he pretty much came into the NBA. And talk about how his willingness to speak out is also a, a an influence to other, and I'm talking about NBA players. I'm not even talking about middle school and high school and college, which he definitely does, have have the influence on them. I'm talking about his contemporaries or other NBA players of of also using their voices 
and their platforms to be able to speak out on different things that affect the communities? Um, the, I, I, I think we have to understand um, that silence is not equivalent uh, to no impact, to uh, uh, no relevance, no consequence. Um, one of the most influential and impactful eras of uh, athlete activism uh, in American society was that era that I uh, classify as uh, the era of collaborative engagement, where you had people like Dr. J and uh, uh, Magic Johnson and um, uh, Charles Barkley and Michael Johnson, uh, Michael Jordan, and so forth, uh, who were not activists in the sense of protest activism of the third wave of athlete activists with uh, Bill Russell and Elgin Baylor and Tommy Smith and John Carlos and Arthur Ashe and Wilma Rudolph and Rose Robinson and all of these great athletes who stood up and actively spoke out about uh, uh, the lack of equality, freedom and justice in uh, American society. Uh, those athletes during the period of collaborative engagement made a phenomenal contribution. We have athletes today who are walking around literally as um, uh, walking corporations uh, because of the contributions and impact of uh, people like uh, Mean Joe Green and, and, and even uh, O.J. Simpson and uh, Michael Jordan and uh, Magic Johnson and that that whole group. We have to understand that, and this is part of what the last lectures uh, is uh, targeting uh, and understanding mm -hmm. that we're looking uh, to generate. So silence does not mean no contribution. Silence does not mean not making a powerful um, uh, statement. So, uh, the the um, one of the things that, that 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 I've tried to emphasize uh, in 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 this whole last lecture series is that the struggle has always abhorred orthodoxy. So if you look at how Jesse Owens and Joe Lewis and Jack Johnson did things, they're not the way uh, that. Uh, uh, Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby and Kenny Washington and Woody Strode and Marion Motley and Bill Willis did things. Uh, and okay. what the way that Jackie Robinson did things is not the way that Smith and Carlos and uh, Bill Russell and Arthur Ashe did things and not the way that Wilma Rudolph did things. So every generation must be contextualized by the context uh, of the larger environment uh, movement and environment that they are embedded in. And so what um, uh, LeBron James has done is to set an example for the uh, uh, Black Lives Matter era of okay. uh, athletic um, activism framed up by the fact that th these athletes have power that is unprecedented. Uh, in the 158-year activist athlete struggle. Uh, in 1968, when I organized the Olympic Project for Human Rights, uh, I would uh, get on a rotary telephone. There was no answering service, anything like that. I'd get on a rotary telephone and call 50 people, hope that I would be there when 20 of them, if 20 of them called back, hope that after speaking to those 20, at least 10 of them wouldn't think that I was totally insane. And maybe two of them would say, well, what can I do? Uh, mm. Today, athletes 
have access to the internet and the social media and the most powerful four letter word in the history of the human language, S-E-N-D. They put out what they want to say. They don't have to go through a reporter. They don't have to go through a newspaper. They don't have to go to uh, Sports Illustrated or uh, some uh, uh, sports uh, broadcast outlet. Put out what they want to say, hit S-E-N-D, and it goes out to millions of people only to be retweeted, if you will, re-Instagrammed and go out to millions of more. So uh, Colin Kaepernick, uh, takes a knee, and within a year, you have people in Pakistan taking a knee. You have soccer right. players in Spain and in London and in Germany taking a knee. So at the end of the day, what uh, LeBron has done is to uh, propagate the legitimacy of dealing with issues that come over the stadium wall, that come through the pavilion turnstiles, uh, that really... Uh, emanate not from contradictions and conflicts within the sport, uh, like Kurt Flood was trying uh, to deal with, or like Oscar Robertson was trying to deal with when he was trying to get rid of uh, the uh, equivalent of the reserve clause in the, N in the NBA basketball. Those were sport generated contradictions that these activist athletes were trying to deal with. What LeBron has been able to capitalize on uh, a, in an exemplary fashion, is utilizing the context and instruments and technology of his era, this uh, uh, fifth generation of athlete activism to deal with issues and legitimize dealing with issues that come over the stadium wall, that come through the pavilion turnstiles into the locker room. And he has become an example of how one does that responsibly, intelligently, proactively, not just tweeting and twittering and saying stuff, making statements. Uh, he moved beyond the hoodie statement uh, when he was with the Miami Heat to an activist involvement uh, by cultivating uh, the uh, organizations and so forth that pursue uh, the uh, movement from protests to programs to progress in all of these various areas of societal concern. Again, issues that come over the stadium wall, that come through the pavilion turnstiles. And uh, what uh, uh, LeBron has done, uh, especially noteworthy, because this is a guy who didn't go to college. I mean, this is mm -hmm. not a guy who was sitting up in Edwards uh, sport and society class at Berkeley for, for, for four years. I mean, this is a young man who educated himself and so many people around him as to those broader obli obligations and then followed through and became a leader uh, in that regard. And so to that extent, uh, he is uh, a worthy uh, successor uh, to Kareem, uh, not just in terms of uh, on the court performance, on the athletic stage performance, but in transforming that stage into a platform to make these broader statements and become involved as an activist in terms of moving from protest to programs to progress in the broader society. And I agree with that, but at, at the same time, not all athletes go that route, even in the contemporary time period of 
um, say, the fifth wave of athletes. Um, and I think oh. that what Le- LeBron has shown is that while we're in this fifth wave, this is like almost a, an example of what you can do. Because remember, for a long time, even when I was in the in, in the league in the early 2000s, um, the notion that was out there was you have to be careful because if you do speak out, you're going to get in trouble. Like, and I, I heard this a lot myself. Remember what happened to Craig Hodges. Remember what happened to Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. Now, so you can be careful. So you have different people trying to convince athletes not to get involved. So now then here comes LeBron, who is the top athlete, and he's being involved. And now people, the people who kept hearing that were like, well, wait a minute. If, if, he, had, if he could do that, then I, I can do that too. I can speak out. I could join a march. I could join a protest. I can talk about this killing that happened in my town. I could, you know, uh, um, I can support this cause uh, financially and with my platform. I can do all those things without fear of, of repercussions for me doing it, which was a notion that was floating out there. Would you, would you agree with that, with that, that LeBron kind of reversed that uh, a little bit? Uh, uh, brother, uh, let, 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 me, let, me, let me go back. You, you made mm-hmm. so many points that I want to address. First of all, there's never been a movement that included everybody, even among the group uh, in whose interest the movement was mobilized and implemented. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all, it has always been a minority that moved for a critical change, uh, not just because of the potential sacrifice, but because of apathy, ignorance, uh, a lack of uh, focus in terms of what really mattered and so forth and so on. Uh, Alternative views of how to get ahead, whether it's an individual or a group focus that the people have. I mean, uh, only 13% of the American colonist population supported George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln and Sam Adams and so forth and so on. The rest of them either didn't care or they were outright loyalists as far as uh, England was concerned. Uh, Mao Zedong, when you know when he started the Chinese Communist Party, I mean he, he was looking at a, a a minority of people that were involved. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Cuba and Castro started out with uh, you know sixteen uh, revolutionaries. I mean, it never been a whole bunch of people that right. moved for massive change. Um, and uh, I mean, but that goes back to the Bible. The Bible tells you that. I mean, come on. Uh, 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 Jesus had twelve disciples, and one of them turned against him. So at yep. at the at the end of the day, it's always been a minority. The second point is that all movements are framed up by external, broader, contextual realities. It is mm. not individuals that generate change, LeBron or anybody else. It's not individuals, conditions that generate change efforts. So the context changed and so does the character of the movement. What generated the era in which LeBron stepped forward was the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, And movements are as American uh, as Cherry Pie, as uh, Rap Brown would have said. Uh, going back to Sam Adams, 
uh, and the son, his Sons of Liberty movement that threw the 336 box, 46 boxes of tea into Boston Harbor. That wasn't a government, uh, British government-sponsored program. Uh, the same with the abolitionist movement long before uh, the Civil War was mobilized. Uh, the right. same with uh, the labor movement, the women's suffrage movement, the environmental movement, the civil rights movement, the black power movement, today the Me Too movement, the gay rights movement. Movements are as American as cherry pie. And so it's the context that okay. generates the onset of movement. Now, when you came through, like you said, in the early 2000s, in point of fact, from 1972 to 2012, where was the broader movement? Dr. King was gone. Malcolm X was gone. The civil rights movement was in decline. The Black Power movement was in decline. Even the Black Panther Party had begun to edge toward going mainstream. Bobby Seale was running for mayor of Oakland. Elaine Brown was running for the school board. Elders Cleaver was running for president of the United States. So mm -hmm. at, the, at the end of the day, it's that broader context that generates uh, these uh, mobilization efforts. It is not individuals. It is conditions that generate movements. And LeBron uh, uh, exploded on the scene as an activist, not just making a statement, but even his making a statement as part of the Miami Heat, the hoodie statement. It wasn't even defined as a protest. It was a statement. Uh, uh, came in the wake of three black women coining what today would be called a hashtag Black Lives Matter that morphed uh, into a slogan that morphed into a movement. By the time that movement took off uh, in 2016 with uh, Colin Kaepernick taking a knee, LeBron James was also being molded and projected and given an option of being silent as if he were part of your generation or being vocal and a leader in what had emerged as a new movement context, not black power, as in the mid and late 1960s, not even collaborative engagement, which was from 1972 to 2012. Black Lives Matter, and uh, he became a leader and an outspoken uh, advocate, uh, telling America essentially, hey, uh, George Floyd, uh, uh, Breonna Taylor, uh, Jacob Blake, hey, we got to pay attention to this. We've got to be about uh, freedom and justice for all, or we are not about anything. And I believe that we are better than this. That's what LeBron was saying, but it was framed up by the emergence of the Black Lives Matter movement, this hashtag created by these three black women, one of whose cousin was murdered uh, by uh, police uh, less than a month ago. So uh, again, it's not individuals that generate uh, these circumstances, it's conditions, and you can literally gauge the evolution of, uh, of movements by looking at the conditions. Like 10 years ago, I was talking about the assaults on uh, women's uh, medical and uh, reproductive rights, that ultimately any effort 
to return women to reproductive bondage was not only going to be a an existential threat to women's sports, because we talk about Title IX in 1972, we very, very seldom talk about Roe v. Wade in 1973 that gave colleges and universities and professional teams and so forth, uh, soccer and basketball assurance that if we give this woman a contract, if we give this woman a scholarship in May, she's going to be around in September uh, to uh, start the season and around in March and April and May and June to participate in the championship tournament. Uh, that was Roe v. Wade. Now Roe v. Wade is gone. And it's not just the impact that it might have on women who are active in sports now. More importantly, it is going to have a severe impact on the pool, especially at risk Pop, in at risk populations, which generate so many of the great athletes, black, brown, and so forth. So at the end of the day, you can actually predict the onset of movements by looking at the evolving conditions that, that impact uh, and frame up and inform and infuse and fuel and inflame uh, movement um activities uh, and allegiances. If you want to really understand what generated the emergence of um, LeBron James or Bill Russell and Muhammad Ali and Arthur Ashe and Smith and Carlos are going back to Jackie Robinson and uh, Jack Johnson and so forth. Look at the circumstances surrounding uh, uh, that situation, that their emergence in the broader society. These are issues that come over the stadium wall. And I and I definitely agree with that as well. That's a, that's a great point. And you're right. The, you know, when I was playing in the 2000s, there wasn't that movement there. It was like an in-between period of time. I think that's a great point. But I do have to add this point. Um, you know, when I interviewed you for my book, uh, We Matter, Athletes and Activism, one of the things that we talked about was OJ. And we talked about when um, OJ said to you um, personally, you know, I, I, I'm not I'm not black. I'm OJ. And that was in the middle of a movement that you was gathering different athletes together to be able to collectively um, take a stand birthed out of the movement of the black power movement of the 68. So exactly everything that you're saying. But you had someone like OJ who still even though he was at the the peak, like he was the top compared to how LeBron is the top. And he elected not to associate himself or to be involved in that very movement because he didn't see himself connected to the movement. And that was the point that we talked about in the book. And you and I, and I could read an excerpt of it. I thought it was fantastic. I asked you about the OJ Simpson documentary and um, I'm going to read a few of your words. You said, here is the conundrum in regards to this situation. When I approached OJ about supporting the Olympic Project for Human Rights, he was very, very clear. When I said black athletes are looking to unite, he stopped me and said, I'm not black, I'm OJ. And what he was saying wasn't that he um, felt he wasn't black racially. He was saying that he wasn't black in terms of the orthodoxy that demands that there is a pattern that all black people must subscribe to. And his point was well taken. I had to stop and pause because 
what he was essentially saying was Larry Bird is not obligated to stand up for all white people in French Lake, Indiana. Um, so why should I be obligated to move away from everything I have worked for and be asked to make this tremendous sacrifice, sacrifice and stand up for all people in America? And you said, that's a legitimate question. Then you said, now, what's equally legitimate is if you decide not to do that, there's a price to be paid for it. Um, and Black people have every right to collect that price and that cost. So when someone says a statement like, I'm not Black, I'm OJ, they're telling you who, who they are and what they are. And that's the difference with LeBron, because in the face of a movement, he didn't do that. He could have. He could have easily went the OJ route. He could have easily said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not Black, I'm LeBron. You know what I mean? I, I don't have to associate myself with the issues of Black Lives Matter because I'm LeBron. I'm going to focus on my on the court. I'm going to excel. I'm going to eventually pass Kareem's record. I'm going to break. I'm going to win championships. And I'm not going to involve myself in this. But he didn't do that. He did something completely opposite. And that's what makes him special. So from that standpoint, I, I, I have to really applaud LeBron because he could have chosen to go a completely different route. Would you agree with that? Of course. Of course. I applaud LeBron. But let, let's let's go back. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is this is the this is this is the problem with with uh with interviews. Uh they're different than lectures. You answer the question and you try to be as concise and precise as possible. But oftentimes the context the, the go the remember what I said in the in the interview about orthodoxy. Yes. Uh uh, O.J. rejected orthodoxy. The struggle rejects orthodoxy. I don't care whether you're talking about the struggle between uh, Booker T. Washington and W.B. Du Bois, whether you're talking about the struggle between the NAACP and Marcus Garvey, whether you're mm -hmm. talking about the struggle between Paul Robeson and Jackie Robinson, whether you're talking about the struggle between uh, Dr. King and Malcolm X, uh, mm -hmm. whether you're talking about the struggle between uh, uh, women, a uh, focus on women's uh, issues in sports as opposed to, quote, uh, male uh, uh, concerns for advancement and so forth. Uh, the, the, the struggle abhors orthodoxy. So the fact that O.J. did not confirm to orthodoxy does not mean that he uh, didn't make a contribution. Uh, in point of fact, if you want to see uh, uh, the uh, foundation of the multi-million dollar advertising contracts that athletes like Steph and um, uh, Michael and, and others get, LeBron get today. You've mm -hmm. got to go back to uh, OJ and Mean Joe Green uh, in, in the early 1970s. So mm -hmm. uh, orthodoxy, abhorring orthodoxy does not mean you didn't make a contribution. Uh, and of course, there is a price to pay when you are uh, unorthodox in an era which has been being framed up, fueled and inflamed by a broad scale social movement. Uh, there's a price to pay by those who are engaged in the movement and see that movement as the way forward. And so you're going to pay a price. OJ paid a price. 
uh, Michael Jordan paid a price during the era of um, collaborative engagement. He paid a price. Um, uh, you know, uh, Republicans buy gym shoes too. Mm -hmm. uh, Charles Barkley paid a price. Uh, I'm not your role model. Uh, Magic paid a price. Uh, Magic had the greatest smile since um, uh, Satchmo, right. uh, which had been which, which we thought uh, the Dark Prince Miles Davis had put an end to the, as right. as a, as a legitimate response uh, mm -hmm. by a black person in American society, but the uh, uh, foundation laid by Julius Servant. I talked to Julius once, and and and, and he said uh, during the course of a program that we were on, Harry, you know, I can't. I, I'm I'm Dr. J on the court, off the court. I'm just Julius Servant. I can't take all that other stuff on. I'm trying to be a good husband, a good son, a good mm -hmm. father. I'm trying to be a good citizen. He said, I can't take on all that other stuff uh, and get ready for the season and do what I do on the court and everything. I'm Dr. J on the court, on the street. I'm just Julius Urban. And so all of them paid a price in the sense that they were uh, always compared to, measured by what Muhammad Ali did, what Smith and Carlos did, what Arthur Ashe did, what Bill Russell did, what Jim Brown did, what all of these great athletes did, but that doesn't mean because that was the limit of uh, popular vision mm -hmm. uh, or even so-called informed views uh, that there was no contribution made without Julius Irving, without uh, O.J. Simpson and Mean Joe Green and... Um, uh, Magic Johnson and Charles Barkley uh, and Michael Jordan. Uh, the foundation would not have been laid for a situation to evolve where these athletes literally became walking corporations with the power to say, with the shooting of Jacob Blake, with the murder of George Floyd, with the murder of Breonna Taylor, uh, with the power to say, we're not going to do the playoffs. We're not going to do anything until everybody comes in and sits around the table and tell us what they're going to do to deal with this situation. And the response that they got wasn't hate, animosity, and antipathy, uh, at least visibly. It was, what do you want us to do and what's your timetable? The foundation of that uh, was laid by those athletes who came through in the period of, con uh, of collaborative engagement standing mm -hmm. on the shoulders mm. of the great athlete activists of the past going all the way back 158 years. And so LeBron is standing on the shoulders of the contributions of people like you, like uh, Magic, like Dr. J, like Charles Barkley, you know, uh, th 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 those athletes during that period, Mean Joe Green, O.J. Simpson, said, we are going to be the greatest athletes that we can be. And fortunately, there were some people there that they could collaborate with, uh, like David Stern 
That's why basketball is so far out in front of other uh, sports in, 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 in that regard. Where is the David Stern of the NFL? Where is the David Stern of Major League Baseball where there's actually been a retreat from black engagement? Where in 1973, uh, there were uh, 21%. Uh, black athletes on rosters of Major League Baseball teams. Today, it's 7.4% and declining. Uh, we don't even listen to baseball anymore. We don't play. Y- young black people don't play baseball. And right. I can't uh, think of any way that they're ever going to get back into the game uh, without the reestablishment of what were the equivalent of the Negro Leagues, which is what um, uh, Major League Baseball uh, bled dry through um uh, predatory uh, inclusion uh, beginning in 1946 with Larry Doby and Jackie Robinson. But so all of this becomes critical to understanding and putting in proper perspective uh, what it is uh, that LeBron uh, is doing, the shoulders that he is standing on and the contributions made by subsequent wave waves of athlete activists all of whom contributed in a different context. Mm, I think that's a great point. And so, so in a way, he kind of combined a lot of, so, so the, the, the marketing of Dr. J, of OJ, of Magic, of, of Michael Jordan, and combined Michael. it with the activism of John Carlos and Tommy Smith and Muhammad Ali, and, and combined a, a new orthodoxy that could now go more where you can do both sides and and it's standing on the, the shoulders of all the pioneers that came before him to be able to even do either of them. But now he's kind of combining both in a way that kind of really, you know, is a little bit unique and hasn't really been done to that level of combining both. Would, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's beyond making a statement. It's beyond... Uh, uh, making a protest. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's beyond even a program. Mm -hmm. It's about the exercise of power. They they didn't have a a place in the room. They had a seat at the table and uh, not just a seat, but a seat of power. And they could exercise that. Uh, And so uh, all of that uh, condemnation and negativity and so forth toward the athletes who came through during that period of collaborative engagement, uh, virtually classified as Uncle Tom's. Mm. You know, what mm. people without vision uh, didn't you. understand, one, was that the struggle has always abhorred orthodoxy. There's never been just one thing that had all of the answers. Mm. The struggle has always abhorred orthodoxy. The other thing is that uh, the uh, inevitability of outside issues coming over the stadium wall continually because that's where the athletes come from. Athletes aren't born and raised inside of the stadium wall. They're born on the outside. There are connections out there and so forth. And LeBron understood. Carmelo understood. Right. Chris Paul understood. 
that the only reason it was George Floyd under that cop's knee and not one of them is that they were not there. Mm. And so they felt compelled to respond to that. But it was within the context of the era in which they were influenced by broader conditions, a lot of those conditions created by athletes who came immediately before them in a period of collaborative engagement who had largely been dismissed. Got you. Understood. So if you go back and look at the interview that I did with you, where I talked about, where I said, OJ didn't want any part of orthodoxy. And mm -hmm. he had a point. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Definitely understand. Definitely understand. Well, this was... This was great. You know, you know, I could talk to you forever. I told you I was going to keep it to an hour. So I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a, be true to my word. You know, I can talk to you for three more hours. But tell everybody how they can get in touch with you, how they can um, invite you out to their college while you're on the circuit right now. And because um, and, you have a great lecture series, it's, it's great what you're doing. Tell everybody how they can get in touch with you and, and get you out to their college. Well, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully by next fall, we will be having the official launch right now. Uh, the uh, last lectures. Um, and when I named them the series, the last lectures about three and a half years ago and began, we began to develop them along with uh, Jonathan Hawk and 11 uh, time Emmy winner uh, with ESPN and 30 for 30 and uh, words to picture productions. Um, uh, when I named them the last lectures, I was thinking, well, this would be about the last time I'm going to be in a class room and so forth. So I want to put this together, uh, mm. not only as part of a legacy, but as part of what I think the sociology of sport has contributed, a discipline which I essentially established with my dissertation at Cornell University and uh, also the trajectory of where uh, we are, uh, where, where we might be headed as a nation uh, uh, in terms of developments at the interface of sport and society. But um, uh, having uh, just completed my 80th trip around the sun, uh, this thing about the last lectures has become a serious <laughs> uh, 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 classification uh, of this uh, situation. So next fall, we will be officially launching uh, the last lecture. It essentially consists of a college course uh, a university can uh, subscribe to the whole series, use it throughout the university, uh, African-American studies, uh, uh, sociology, sport and culture, the athletic department, uh, informing athletes of the history uh, of uh, the institution of sport, which uh, I hope they will be convinced at that point is not the sandbox of human affairs or the tar department of human affairs, but a mm -hmm. serious institutional component of life in society. And that is what uh, uh, I'm uh, putting in um, uh, my time on now, uh, preparing for the launch of uh, the last lectures uh, of this fall. And they can uh, uh, get in touch with me uh, um, uh, either uh, at my um, email, drharryedwards at gmail.com, or they can get in touch with uh, Jonathan Hawk Films, uh, which uh, located in New York, uh, which they can most certainly look up, and uh, we'll be more than happy to inform them about uh, uh, where to go uh, in terms of connecting, in terms of some of these relationships. But what we hope to establish uh, mm -hmm. is an ongoing, living course of analysis and content uh, that will be here uh, long after I'm gone.
That's great. That's amazing. Well, let me just say much respect to you. You know how much respect I have for you. You know, we've talked many times, been on a few panels together interviewing you, but I have the utmost respect for you and your body of work and what you continuously do. Even at, you know, 80 trips around the sun. I mean, you don't, you don't even look like, you know what I mean? That, that means, that means you must be living right. You know what I mean? Because yeah, I would not have guessed well, I'm not anywhere near 80. So no brother. brother, you can be honest when you can't be right. You know what? Uh, when somebody tell me you look good, I mean, that's what gets people in the limo automobiles, bad marriages, and silly statements down at the mortuary. Didn't he look good laying there? In that? So so at the end of the day, I don't pay too much attention to that. I'm interested in content and substance and what's going on under the hood. So I appreciate I the, uh, uh, the, the, the compliment, but man, I don't put a lot of stake in that because I know the reality. <laughs> Hey, well, you're mistaken, and that's cool. But I'm telling you, I've seen people that they they be sixty or fifty, and they don't look like you. So, hey, you do it, you do it right. But again, okay. much respect to you. All right, much respect I'll to you. That. All right, all right, all right. Much respect Thank to you. you. Keep doing your thing. And again, thanks a lot for coming on the show to talk about everything. All right, we'll do it again sometime. Thank you. Definitely blessed. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to The Rematch. You can find more episodes on basketballnews.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. You can also find my articles on basketballnews.com, along with exclusive content from Kenyon Martin, James Posey, and more. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Thomas 36 Let me know what you thought of this episode and who you'd like to see as a guest. I would love your feedback.